Turn to God's Word. Just uh, one uh, brief announcement is that next uh, Sunday, we have a congregational meeting at, at 5 p.m. Uh, back here at the church. And uh, this is uh, going to be a time for us, uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, as a church, to just uh, think about this this past year. Um, you know, our church has been through a lot this past year. We've had some really hard things that we've been through as a community. Um, and, and also, God's been doing uh, good things in our church as well. We want to have some reflection on that, and then, um, and then our elders are also going to be talking about uh, some of the ways that we're hoping to be growing and maturing as a, as a church. Um, so the congregational meeting will be about that, and then we'll also have at the end of the meeting an election for Sean Morton. Sean Morton has been in training uh, to be a ruling elder uh, this past year, and so we will be uh, voting on him. So if you are a member of Christ Church, we'd especially encourage you to come and uh, be a part of this meeting. And uh, there's going to be childcare for ages 0 to 10. So um, uh, just we want to make, make it possible for everyone to come. And then after the meeting, uh, Angie Kelly, uh, when we first announced the meeting, she called me and she said, we need to eat together. It's been a tough year and we need to get together as a church and eat and we need a potluck. And so she's been organizing a potluck that we're going to have over in the fellowship hall after. Uh, she said the theme is nostalgic potluck. So whatever casserole kind of brings you back to your childhood, that's what you want to bring. And so uh, that's just Angie's gift to you know, bring people together. So I'm, I'm so grateful for her. So uh, uh, I think this would be a good, important time for us as a community and, and encourage you to come be a part of that. Um, you can, in the, in the announcements in the back of the bulletin, there's a, a link that you can go to to sign up for uh, food to bring. And so, so uh, next Sunday, we'll be together as a congregational me- for a congregational meeting. And then just lastly, I want to acknowledge some of the kids who gave me notes last week from the sermon. And um, I got a good stack of notes, and I'm just so encouraged to see, you know, a, a real range of ages of kids that are following along. Some just getting a picture of what they heard in the sermon, and, some, and then some also some really detailed notes of, of uh, following along. And so let me just uh, encourage some of these kids. This one uh, is a drawing from Penelope. I think that's Van Nord, uh, and a great, great drawing. I love that. Uh, Blaise Fredette, um, uh, Juliana Lim, Joseph Neff, Henry Walker, uh, uh, Sochi Jobes, um, Caleb Oneschek, Chloe Wren, uh, Paybody, uh, Josiah Neff, uh, Gabrielle Fredette, uh, William, Catherine Neff, uh, Maverick, a, a good picture, Maverick Lane. This one, uh, no name, but a, a good picture. And then I have this mysterious person who translates Mark into Latin and a very nice handwriting. That's, that's always an interesting one to see. And uh, Kanan Smith and um, we another drawing with no name and then also Grady and Izzy Smith as well. Good notes. So I just want to commend these kids. I know it, it takes work to, to learn to listen to a sermon and, and track along, and you're really doing a great job. So I love seeing these. So kids, uh, out in the hallway by the lobby, there's a white board with magnets. Uh, after the sermon, you can post, post your notes up there, and we always love to see them. So that's what we have for announcements. We're going to turn now to God's Word. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 6. You can follow along uh, right there in the bulletin. This is the word of the Lord. Immediately made, uh, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea 
and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored on the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word that preserves for us this record of the great deeds of our Savior, Jesus. And uh, we pray that you would take these words and, and they would train our minds, train our hearts to, to trust in him and to follow you, uh, to worship you, and um, that you would be glorified and honored in our lives. And uh, Lord, we thank you that your power is at work in the world. And so uh, help us to know that, help us to trust in this great truth as we, we read these words together and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're reading a, a couple of stories from the Gospel of Mark, one about Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee, and then a record of a number of healings that he did of sick people in the region around the Sea of Galilee that were brought to him, and he was healing many people. And I thought this was a good opportunity to do some teaching about miracles in the Bible. And uh, miracles are a real obstacle for many modern people in believing in the Bible. I know my brother, I, I talk to him quite a lot about the Bible and Christianity. He's very interested in Jesus, and he loves talking about, about God. Uh, but he has said to me numerous times, I don't believe in magic, though. And there are all these magical stories in the Bible. It doesn't seem scientific to me, which is an interesting comment. You know, what is the relationship between the miraculous, and the scientific. And actually, uh, just over Christmas, there was an article in the New York Times, an opinion piece, maybe some of you saw it, that was titled, How Could You Prove God Did a Miracle? And the article is about Josh Brown, who directs the neuroscience program at the University of Indiana. And he, along with his wife, they've begun researching accounts of the miraculous from around the world. And one of the things they talk about is how it's really impossible to study miracles scientifically because science requires repeatable events, right? You know, when you use the scientific method, you, you make a hypothesis and a prediction about how the physical world works, and then you do repeatable experiments that test the hypothesis uh, to determine how accurate it is. And miracles, by definition, are not repeatable, they are events that fall outside the normal repeatable patterns of the laws of nature. So studying miracles 
is more like studying history, right? There's, you know, strictly speaking, there's no repetition in history. All events in history are always unique. And so the way you study history is very different than how you study science. You study history through eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts like the one that we have in the Gospel of Mark here about these miracles that Jesus did. Now, this article from the New York Times says, polls suggest that about half of American scientists and three-quarters of doctors believe in a higher power. And so uh, more than half of even the scientific community believe in a higher power, and yet we have a tendency to compartmentalize our faith and our kind of understanding of, of science. And so even though most people are not atheists, we do view nature as this closed system. There may be a God beyond nature, but we don't believe that he intervenes in nature. Well, the Bible gives us a completely different worldview. And um, I actually don't think that the Bible's worldview at all pits faith and science against each other. In fact, historically, faith has been the foundation of science because it was Christians, really, who believed that the God of the Bible is a God of order, not of chaos. And the way he rules his creation is in an orderly way. And so that's why we can find certain laws because there is a lawgiver behind nature. Who, who, uh, and, and so there are predictable and repeatable patterns that we can discover and we can learn about the mind of God. And so today, I wanna talk about the Bible's understanding of miracles by answering three questions for us. This is what they are. What is a miracle? Why are there miracles? And how should we respond to miracles? What is a miracle? Why are there miracles? And how should we respond to miracles? So today we're kind of doing a theology of miracles in the Bible. And there's a lot of interesting um, uh, details in this passage. So three questions for us this morning. The first is this. What is a miracle. What is a miracle? How would you answer what is a miracle? Well, most people would say that a, that a miracle is a supernatural act of God. And uh, it's like the world is running along just fine by itself, according to the laws of nature. And then God intrudes and does something kind of unnatural in the universe. And, uh, you know, God is outside the universe and he reaches into the mess uh, he reaches in to mess with the normal working of things. And you see the sense that the disciples feel that something unnatural is happening in this passage. You see that there in verse 48 where it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So you, you see that they feel that there's something alien has intruded the normal way of things by seeing a ghost that terrifies them. But it also says right after that in verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves. So the disciples thought that this was unnatural, but they were also lacking understanding, right understanding. Is, it really that the, uh, right, is that really the right way to think about miracles? Is the universe like a clock that, you know, God built at the creation and he just started the clock and then he took his hands away from it and the clock is just running according to the laws of nature? Well, that's not how the Bible sees the world. You know, for example, Colossians chapter 1 says that all things hold together in Jesus. Like right now, you sitting in your chairs, the reason you can sit upright and your face is holding together and you're not like melting into a pile of, you know, 
juices on the ground? Why are you being held together? It's Jesus who is holding every fiber of your being together right now. He's making your brain fire and your heart pump. And he is holding together everything about the universe. That's what Acts 17 says. In him, we live and move and have our being. Every moment is an act of God's power and control and presence in this universe. You know, Psalm 104 it's very similar to the, the psalm we read in the, in the call to worship. It says, says about all the animals in the world. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And so what we call nature, you know, all the creatures that eat and the birds and the, you know, the lions, where do they get their food? Constantly, regularly, day after day, it is God who is actively providing for them within nature. Uh, God is not just sitting in heaven with his hands off the world. No, his power is intimately and actively at work at every square inch of this universe. And so if miracles are just acts of God's supernatural power within creation, then everything that happens in the universe is a miracle. The whole thing is a miracle. And that's generally not what we mean when we use the word miracle. But it does mean that miracles are not actually that different from God's a normal working in the world, which makes sense. You know, laws always have exceptions. You know, there's laws in the Bible that have, you know, for example, the Bible says you should not get divorced. But you'll find in passages of the Bible, there's exceptions. There are exceptions to that law. When God makes his law of nature, that's how the world normally runs, but he makes exceptions. And he, as the lawgiver, can determine what those exceptions are. And in fact, uh, this is much of what this passage is saying about Jesus. You look at verse 51. It says, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. This is very similar to another story where Jesus is in a boat during a storm with his disciples, and, and he calms the storm. And the disciples say, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And what's the answer? When you say, Who is this that the wind and waves obey him? He is God. Jesus is God. He's the one who controls all the climate. You know, why is there 300 days of rain in Bellingham every year? It's because Jesus makes it rain here. He's in control of the climate. He is the Lord of nature. Everything that happens in nature is in accord with the Lord's sovereign providence, whether that's according to the laws of nature or not. So what then is a miracle? Well, with all that in mind, John Frame is a, he's a great theologian, defines a miracle this way. He says, miracles are unusual events caused by God's power so extraordinary that we would usually consider them impossible. Let me say that again. Miracles are unusual events caused by God's power so extraordinary that we would usually consider them impossible. Now, one thing from this definition is he says that miracles are unusual. He does not say they're unnatural. Biblical miracles cohere with the nature of things. You know, Jesus calming the storm, that's not unnatural. Storms calm all the time. Every storm eventually calms. It's very natural for a, calm, a storm uh, to calm. Or take, for example, in this passage, Jesus is healing people. You see there in verse 56, it says, And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it, were made well. It is unusual for someone to be healed, 
when they touched Jesus' garment. But people being healed is not unusual. You know, our bodies by nature have a tremendous amount of healing power within them. In fact, you know, that's generally what doctors are doing. Doctors aren't healing people. Doctors are helping people's bodies heal themselves. You know, if you break your arm, you get a cast on your arm. The cast is not healing your arm. The cast is helping your arm to heal itself. Healing is not against nature. Actually, healing is about restoring nature. Sickness is what's actually unnatural. It means that nature has been broken and Jesus is setting things right. And so Jesus in these passages, he's not doing magic tricks. You know, he doesn't turn someone into a duck or, you know, take a rabbit out of a hat. It's not magical things like that. Jesus' miracles are always about setting nature right. And, and you can see Jesus' relationship to nature in many of his miracles. You know, for example, last week we looked at the passage where Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, is that natural or unnatural? Well, bread and fish multiply every year. You have a little bit of grain, you plant it in the ground, and it turns into a lot of grain. God multiplies grain every year. He multiplies bread. Or fish, one fish lays a bunch of eggs, and you get one fish turns into a bunch of fish. God is constantly multiplying bread and fish in nature. Or, you, you know, you think of the story when Jesus turns the water into wine. Is that a natural process, to turn water into wine? It happens every year. You know, the rain falls from heaven, and the grapevine sucks up the water and transforms the water into grapes. And we take the grapes and smash them, and the, you know, the, uh, the yeast and the sugar mix together, and you, they ferment, and you have wine. And so water turns into wine every year. That's how God runs his world. And yet there's something unusual that this natural process that Jesus does all the time in his running of his world happens quickly through Jesus. Now you might say, okay, that makes sense. Healing is not unnatural. Bread and fish multiplying is not unnatural. Water, you know, water turning into wine is not unnatural. But Jesus walking on water, that seems to be against nature. Well, I think this leads to our second question. So first, what are miracles? Everything that happens is an act of God's power and providence, but miracles are unusual events caused by God's power so extraordinary that we would usually consider them impossible. But second, why are there miracles? Why does God periodically do these unusual events? And, you know, there are a number of words for miracle in the New Testament. Uh, sometimes they're called a work, like a work of God or a wonder. And, uh, but often in the Gospels, they're called signs. So, for example, when Jesus turns water into wine... The, John says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. So a miracle is a sign. It's pointing to something beyond itself. It's teaching us something. It's sending us a message. And so you're supposed to hear the message when Jesus does a miracle. And so, uh, so what is the message that Jesus is sending? Well, a couple answers from this passage is first, miracles show Jesus' lordship over creation and redemption. Miracles show Jesus' lordship over creation and redemption. And this is really the answer to the question, is, is walking on water natural or unnatural? Well, it depends on who's walking on the water. Uh, you know, when you read through the Old Testament, 
There is one who walks on the waters throughout the Old Testament, and that's the Lord himself. So, for example, when the Lord led Israel out of Egypt and they were slaves, and they passed through the Red Sea. Psalm 77 describes it this way. He says, your path was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Or Job 9.8 says, the Lord alone trampled the waves of the sea. Or Isaiah 43.16, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. And actually in the Old Testament, you know, the seas were a symbol of the nations of the world. So when Jesus is walking on the waters, he's showing that he is the king and Lord over all the nations of the world. And actually this image goes back to the very earliest um, verses of the Bible. You know, in, in Genesis chapter one, when the earth was formless and void, it said that the spirit was hovering over the face, the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the deep. And you know, what did the disciples think when they saw Jesus when he was walking on the waters? Oh, he was a ghost. He was a spirit. And it's like going back to the creation Jesus walking on water is a sign that is showing us that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. The Lord, who, he is the Lord who made heaven and earth. He is the Lord who saved Israel out of Egypt. And is it unnatural to walk on water? Not for the Lord. That's very natural for the Lord to walk on water. That's what he does. And so first, why are there miracles? Miracles show us that Jesus is the creator of all things and is the God of the Old Testament who redeems his people and is Lord over the nations. But a second answer to why there are miracles is that miracles show the truth of the resurrection. Miracles are a sign that are pointing specifically to the resurrection. And at the center of God's purposes in the world is Jesus' resurrection. He has he's reversed death. He has conquered death. And so whenever he heals people, these are signs. And, you know, all these people that Jesus healed in this passage, what happened to them? They eventually got sick and died, and they had some sickness that Jesus did not heal them of. And so Jesus was not in this moment delivering them from sickness. It was a sign pointing to the ultimate deliverance, which is the resurrection. Now, some of you might ask, do miracles still happen today? You know, we read about miracles happening in the Bible at times. Do we still have miracles today? And, and that's a tricky question because on the one hand, the answer is absolutely Miracles happen all the time. I know I've prayed for people that have been healed. And there's not only Christians all around the world, there are all kinds of doctors in our culture who have said, oh yeah, I've seen people who, you know, a tumor disappeared or something that, you know, uh, um, you know someone had a terminal illness and they were, they were delivered from it. I mean, accounts of that happen all the time. But in the Bible, miracles don't happen just uniformly all the time. They tend to happen in key moments in God's redemptive purposes. So, you know, when Moses is delivering God's people out of, out of Egypt, there's like a concentration of miracles around Moses. Or uh, Elijah and Elisha were uh, prophets in the Old Testament. They, there's a whole bunch of miracles concentrated around them. And then when Jesus comes and his disciples are writing the New Testament, they're starting the church, and, you know, as the new covenant is being established, there's all kinds of miracles concentrated around them. And that's why often we hear about, you know, missionaries that go to a new people group, and you think, oh, there's all these miracles happening. Why doesn't that happen to us here? And it's because the miracles are there to confirm the Word of God, to confirm the truth of the gospel and the truth of the resurrection. And, you know, it's interesting 
Commentators have made all kinds of attempts to explain Jesus walking on the water. And they'll say things like, you know, maybe there was a sandbar in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was just walking on the sandbar and it looked like he was walking on water, but he was just on the sandbar, which unfortunately that doesn't know the geography of the Sea of Galilee that there aren't any sandbars, so that doesn't work. Or, you know, other people would say, well, maybe Jesus was on the shore and, you know, it's nighttime and maybe the disciples thought he was walking on the water, but he was actually on, on the shore. And uh, these are fishermen who are on the sea basically every day. They grew up around the sea. And for them to make a mistake like that, and then for Jesus to get in the boat, and they never clarified that, hey, were you actually on the water or were you on the shore? You know, they didn't have a conversation. That's clearly not what happened. This passage is intending to say that Jesus walked on the waters. And so why are there all these strange attempts to explain away the story? It's because miracles make demands on us about our lives and about our beliefs. And C.S. Lewis wrote a great book on miracles. And it, he, in that, he talks about how there's, people have different kinds of beliefs about spirituality and God and, you know, God is a power or, or an energy or God is the universe and how they're all really different than the true God of the Bible. And I, I'm going to read you a paragraph of what he says. This is what he says. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back. I would have done, this, done so myself if I could, and proceed no further with Christianity. And then he talks about these different versions of God. He says, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads. You know, if you had a God that just lives inside of you, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap into, best of all. You know, if God is just a power that we just get power from, love it. But God himself alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband. That is quite another matter. Quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who've been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who've been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it would come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. Miracles mean that God is there. He is active and God must be reckoned with. And what Lewis gets at here is really the heart of our final question for this passage. And so first, what is a miracle? There are unusual events that we would normally consider impossible. But second, why are there miracles? There's signs that show us that Jesus is the Lord of creation, and redeemer of the nations, and they show us the truth of the resurrection. But lastly, how should we respond to miracles? And there's two answers I want to point out from this passage. Okay, first, miracles do not necessarily lead to faith. Miracles do not necessarily lead to faith. You might think maybe they would. God does something supernatural and you believe in him. Uh, and some people might even say that. You know, if God came down and did, you know, tore the sky open or did something that was, I would believe him and I would follow him. And the Bible repeatedly says that's just not true. 
Jesus knew that. You know, all kinds of people were coming to him to be healed and be healed by his power. They even experienced his miraculous healing. And it says in the Gospel of John that Jesus knew what was in man. He did not trust himself to them. We love God's power to be at work in our life, but do we want to trust God and to follow God and to obey him? Miracles do not necessarily lead to true faith. And you see that even in this passage. In this passage, you know, right before this passage, Jesus had just he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus walks on the water and calms this storm. But in verse 51, look at what it says. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened, which is strange. This experience of Jesus' power did not open them to Jesus. It actually closed them off. It shut them down, hardened them. Why is that? Well, it's exactly what C.S. Lewis says. Is if it is true that Jesus is the Lord who walks on the sea, then his lordship over our lives is absolute and supreme. When you realize Jesus is Lord of all, it's either going to repel you and say, I need to get some distance from him, or it's going to draw you to him and you're going to trust him, but it's not going to leave you just the same. You're not going to say, you know, Jesus is a nice teacher. I could glean some things from him. No, his lordship is supreme and absolute. And so when we ask, how should we respond? The first thing to know is that miracles don't necessarily lead to faith. But second, miracles should teach us to trust in Jesus. Miracles should teach us to trust in Jesus. And you know, whenever we, you read a passage in the gospel and you want to know what's the most important part of the passage, it's when Jesus speaks. And in this passage, he speaks in verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And this is, do not be afraid, fear not, is actually the, the most repeated commands in the New Testament. Over and over, the Lord is telling us, do not be afraid. Trust me. And Jesus seems to think in this passage that miracles don't always lead to faith or to trust, but they can be a source of courage that lead us to trust him. And, you know, I, I began this sermon talking about how there was uh, this article in the New York Times about, you know, proving miracles. And the article mentions a New Testament professor from Nigeria who said he had seen many miracles in his ministry and in his life. He even had a child, that, uh, an infant, that had died. And he spent 20 minutes shouting through his house and praying, and he said the child was raised, uh, raised from the dead. And uh, he tells us why he doesn't, why we, he thinks we don't see miracles here in America as much as he saw in Nigeria. He says, I joke, you don't really need to pray the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread, when you have everything provided by Walmart and your fridge is full. When you're in a place where you have nothing, the only thing you can do is depend on God, and at that point, you're expecting something. The average white evangelical Christian doesn't expect anything. It's when you are in need that you cry out for God's unusual power to show up and work. And we are so wealthy and comfortable that we don't cry out like that. And it's later in the article, you know, later in the article, it says, scholars estimate that 80% of new Christians in Nepal come to the faith through an experience with healing 
or deliverance from demonic spirits. Perhaps as many as 90% of new converts who join the house church join a house church in China, credit their conversion to faith healing. In Kenya, 71% of Christians say they have witnessed a divine healing, according to a 2006 Pew study. Even in the relatively skeptical United States, 29% of survey respondents claim they have seen one. The Lord is not on the other side of the universe, keeping his hands off his creation. Everything about our lives is directed by his power. He is at work. And what are miracles? The Lord's unusual ways where he does things that seem impossible to us. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. And why does he do miracles? They are signs showing us that Jesus is Lord of creation and redemption in all the nations. And the resurrection is true. Death has been defeated in him. So how should we respond? Trust him. Do not be afraid. Your God is Lord of creation and his power surrounds you. Rest in him today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for the amazing hope that you are, are not distant, but it is, it's even the Lord Jesus who holds our lives together. Every day is an experience of your power and provision. And everything in our lives is carefully ordered by you. And yet you tell us to bring to you our desires, our prayers, whatever we need, whatever we want. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would not be closed down and to think there's no power available for me, for us, for our community. And yet, Lord, we trust you. We ask for your miraculous power to work in our midst, and we trust whatever you may bring. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, uh, we love you. We trust you. Would you cast out our fear by your perfect love? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.